Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. And we thank you for this short passage that we're going to consider this evening. Some of it very difficult, perhaps, to understand. But we just pray that you'll open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to receive your word. We pray that you'll have your hand, that the power of your Holy Spirit will be on Daniel as he brings your word to us. We thank you for uh, the work, the hours that he's put in this week, just pouring over your word and listening to your voice. And we pray that as he speaks to us this evening, we too may hear your voice speaking to us. So just have your hand on him, we pray, and have your hand too on us uh, to have open hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brilliant. Well, do keep that open in front of you as you explore it together. Uh, Well, I know that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that a couple of friends and I had started running occasionally in the morning. Uh, Well, what I love is that it's become a very vivid illustration for so many things. Uh, You see, surprisingly enough, I'm not Mo Farah. And because I'm not Mo Farah, I don't find running the easiest or the most pleasant of experiences. And you might be thinking, Daniel, why do you go running? And that's a very good question. I ask myself that a lot. But you see, there's always a point. There's always a point when we go on our runs where I just want to pack it all in. There's a point every single time where your body is telling you just to stop. Your heart is heavy you're breathing heavily and your legs don't want to keep moving. And the simple solution that keeps going through your mind is, well, I can just stop. I can just go home. I can just stop this unpleasant experience. And you know, as we've gone through this letter of 1 Peter, we've seen that running the Christian life isn't an easy one either. Peter tells us that suffering is to be expected It's not going to be pleasant all the time when following Jesus. And therefore, because this is the Christian life, just like running, when you go through the tough times, the temptation is just to give it all up. To walk away. To stop what's causing the suffering. You can imagine those Christians that Peter was writing to, experiencing the hostility and the suffering for following Jesus, being mocked and insulted almost every day, wondering at times, why go through with it? 
Why go through with it? Why keep running the Christian life? Maybe that's something that you're asking this evening. Why go through with it? But actually this evening, what we're going to see is that Peter gives those Christians he was writing to and to us this evening an enormous encouragement, a motivation to keep going. Because remember, that's the reason that Peter gives for writing the letter. He says that in chapter 5, verse 12, if you look with me. He says, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Peter, despite the enormous pressure, the enormous temptation just, just by this suffering to, to just blend in, to stay silent, to give it all up, to choose not to stand for Jesus, he writes wanting all of these Christians to remain faithful, to be encouraged, to stand fast in living for Jesus. And as we go through this passage, there are just three points as we go through. And the first one is suffering now, but glory to come. Suffering now, but glory to come. You see, our passage this evening is written out as a journey. A journey that Jesus made. And the journey, it starts in verse 18, if you look with me, with Christ's suffering. And then moving on, we see later on in verse 18 that then after Christ's suffering, it says that Christ died. It says he was put to death in the body. And then Peter goes on to mention Jesus' resurrection in two parts. And we'll get, we'll get on to that a bit later on. But it says in verse 19 that he was made alive. And then following that, we have this interesting description of spirits and of Noah. Again, that we'll look at a bit later on. But then again, it mentions the resurrection at the end of verse 21. And then verse 22, the end of the journey... It says, where Christ has now been seated at God's right hand with all power and authority. See, what Peter describes in this short passage is Jesus' journey from suffering to glory. Jesus' journey from humiliation and shame to victory and honor. That's the journey that Jesus made. Suffering, death, resurrection, ascension to the throne in heaven. You might be thinking, well, why does Peter decide to mention all of this to those that he was writing to? Well, remember, Peter, right the way through the letter, has been showing that how just as Christ suffered, so his people will suffer as well. If you look with me at chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ sets the example for how his people are to follow. And Peter shows here in our passage that if that's true in suffering, then so too will it be true in the glory to come. So just as Christ suffered but finally triumphed, so that will be the journey for all those that follow him. In fact, Peter shows this later on in chapter 5, verse 10. He says, After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
Peter says to these suffering Christians, this is not how it ends. This is not how it ends for those who follow Jesus. The end of the journey is not what you're experiencing right now. But rather, it's receiving this glorious inheritance for eternity with Christ. What an encouragement this would have been to those that Peter was writing to. And what encouragement it is to us this evening. If we're struggling, if we're feeling weary, if we're feeling anxious tonight, this is not how the story ends. Christ suffered, but it wasn't forever. Christ is not still suffering. It's not forever. What is forever, Peter says, is his glorious triumph. And it's the same story. It will be the same journey, the same story for all those who trust him. Suffering now, but glory to come. And secondly this evening, judgment coming, but salvation sure. Judgment coming, but salvation sure. Now probably when the passage was being read out, the thing that jumped out most, probably when you saw it, was this thing with the imprisoned spirits in the days of Noah. And let's read that section again. Look with me at verse 19. Let's read it again. It says, After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. There's a lot going on here. And the question you might be asking, who, who are these imprisoned spirits that are mentioned in the passage? Well, the reference points us to Noah. And that points us all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, where we read of how these spirits that Peter mentions, these angelic beings, brought great corruption and evil in the days of Noah. Evil that eventually resulted in God bringing the judgment of the flood. And if you flick over, if we turn to 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, if you flick over, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4, he explains more about how this all links in. So 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, then, verse 9, a bit further down, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You see, Peter brings up these spirits, these imprisoned spirits that are being held for judgment and he brings up Noah because it's such a picture of what's to come because the judgment of the flood in Genesis is really only a shadow of the judgment that Christ will one day bring and back in our passage in 1 Peter the focus really isn't on these imprisoned spirits the focus is on Noah You see, when judgment was coming in Genesis, God commands Noah to build the ark. 
The ark was the only way of rescue, the only hope from the flood that God was going to bring. And actually, when we think of the story of Noah, when we think of Noah, there are major parallels with Noah and those Peter was writing to, and even to us here this evening. I don't know whether you've seen uh, the film Evan Almighty, uh, which aims to recreate a modern retelling of the story of Noah. I mean, there's a lot theologically wrong with that film, but it's a good film. Um, But what it does really well is it points out how everyone looked at this guy called Evan, who's playing the Noah character. Everyone looks at Evan and thinks that he is an idiot. They think he's mad for building this ark. They just mock him for what he's doing. He's the joke of the town. He's mocked over the news and the media. He's even rejected by some of his closest friends. And you know, the real Noah was probably thought to be completely mad too. Who would believe, who would really believe that a flood was going to come and cover the whole earth? Who would believe that? It's fake news. And the same too with those Peter was writing to, to us maybe here this evening. People think we're mad for believing that there is something after death. Mad for thinking and believing that Jesus is going to come again, even after 2,000 years. Mad for thinking that one day we'll each have to stand before God and give an account before him. And you know, Noah was also in the minority. It says in our passage, verse 20, only eight people were saved. And you know, Christians 2,000 years ago, and even now, can easily find themselves in the minority. When you walk into school, you know, it can often feel like just you. Just you or just a couple of others living for Jesus. And you know, most of all for Noah in these parallels. For Noah, the ark was the only way to be saved. It was the only way you could escape the waters that God would send. And yet tonight, isn't that the same for us? Only our ark is Jesus, who is the only way, the only hope we have faced with God's judgment. And that's what Peter goes on to say with what he relates with baptism And what happened with Noah? Because as Peter says, baptism isn't a bath that aims to deal with the dirt on the outside, but rather what baptism is, is the declaration of someone who has put their hope in the ark that is Jesus, who gives us, as it says, a clear conscience towards God. Because, you know, here's here's the really amazing thing that we can do if we trust in Christ this evening. You know, those are are very famous words that begin Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And the amazing thing is, is that because of Jesus, because of our greater ark, we can sing that triumphantly this evening. We can know that that is true because of Jesus. There is no fear of judgment for those who trust in Jesus. There is no fear of God's wrath looming over us. There is no record of our wrongs that now exist. There is no debt left for us to pay 
For those who follow and trust Christ, he has rescued us completely through his death and resurrection, just as the ark saved Noah from the flood that God sent. You might be thinking, why, why, Peter, write all this stuff about Noah in your letter? Why write it? Well, remember at the start, we were thinking about the temptation and the pressure of giving up. The pressure to not stand firm for Jesus in the face of immense pressure and suffering that might come. Well, isn't Noah the biggest encouragement to us this evening? It might be tough. It's not easy being mocked. It's not easy being the weird one at school or at the office. It's tough being so open and public with our faith where God has put us. But Peter reminds us of Noah. And if you know a flood is coming, then you stay as close to the ark as you can possibly get. And the same is true for us this evening. Peter reminds us that judgment is coming. And if that's true, then to stray from the only hope that is Christ is like choosing to abandon the ark just as the floods are about to come. Do you know, I love these words from uh, one of the songs that we sing. And my hope is built on nothing less, cornerstone. In one of the verses it says, when he shall come with trumpet sounds. When that day comes when God brings final judgment. When he shall come with trumpet sounds. Oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before the throne. Do you know those are the words that are expressed every time someone is baptized. I want to be found nowhere else but in Christ because I know that's my only hope. Judgment coming, but in Christ, our rescue, our salvation is so sure. And finally this evening, thirdly, victory sealed but not fully revealed. I went through this and I was like, that rhymes as well. Yes, get in there. Um, (laughs) Silly. Uh, You see, at the start of our passage, we saw how it's structured in the form of a journey that Jesus took. And the final part of the journey is after the resurrection is mentioned. It's mentioned in two stages. You see, you have this proclamation and then you have the destination Because Peter mentions that straight after Jesus' resurrection in verse 19, he went and made proclamation to these imprisoned spirits. Now that word proclamation, it's not the the usual word that Peter uses to describe when you're sharing the gospel with someone. That's not the word here. But the word that Peter uses is the word where you're announcing that a king has come. It's the announcement of a victory that has been won. That's the proclamation that Jesus is making. Jesus, in his proclamation, he's announcing the victory of his death and his resurrection. The news that Jesus is the risen king who has defeated forever sin, death, and Satan. In other words, the news that Jesus is victorious. 
That's what he's proclaiming. But you know, in any journey, the most important part is the destination. And the last verse of our passage shows Jesus' destination. And look how glorious it is. Verse 22. I'll start from just before in verse 21. It says, It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Peter says, look where Jesus is. He's in the place of ultimate power and authority with everything. Angels, authorities, powers in submission to him. Jesus is supremely victorious. He's triumphed over his enemies. He's in control of all things. And one day... The reality of that victory, the reality of Jesus' power and authority will be revealed for all to see. You know, it's an easy temptation wherever God has placed you during the week, whether that be at school or at work or at home. It's an easy temptation, like Peter, even the person writing this letter, when Jesus was being crucified, to be ashamed of Jesus to be ashamed of having any connection with him. Oh, you know that, Jesus. No, I I never knew him. It's so easy. But at the end of our passage, Peter Peter leaves us with a view of Christ that reminds us of who he really is. That reminds us that to be ashamed of Christ is to not really understand who he is that reminds us and encourages us as we look forward to the day when we don't just see it, but everyone else will as well. And you know, on that day when Christ comes, there's one thing for sure, that you will not be ashamed when Christ comes for living for him and standing for him. You will not be ashamed on that day. Even though you might feel shame now, on that day, this is the Jesus that we know is risen and enthroned and is coming again. And so this evening, when we experience the challenges and the trials of following Jesus and we start to weigh up the cost, well, let's be encouraged by what Peter points us to. Suffering now, but glory to come. Judgment coming but salvation sure. Victory sealed, but not yet fully revealed. This is what Peter says the true grace of God is. So let's this week stand fast in it. Well, we're going to take some time now to discuss around our tables and answer a few questions that should be coming up on the screen there. And then uh, our hands back over. I think we'll end with a closing song. So why don't we just take this time now to discuss around our tables.